Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. With that Old Testament reading of Naaman's washing in mind, we consider today the Gospel reading, the 40th verse of the first chapter of Mark, where Mark writes, A leper came to Jesus, imploring him, saying to him, If you will, you can make me clean. So far our text. Dear friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard the phrase, Dead man walking. It's thought that the phrase originated with an early 20th century Thomas Hardy poem of the same name. But no matter its uncertain origin, it's certain that this particular phrase has over the years become traditional prison parlance in the United States as customarily it rings through the penitentiary corridors from a prison guard as a condemned prisoner is led onto death row. And the cry tolls out, dead man walking, dead man walking here. Well, it sounds a bit like the cry that customarily preceded the leper as he would walk where he would walk. Unclean, unclean was the cry. And as he went under the shroud of that cry, the leper was ever walking toward his death, ever walking in his death. One Alfred Edersheim, a biblical scholar, describes the typical scene of a leper passing by, and he writes this. He says, as the leper passed by, his clothes rent, his hair disheveled, and these, they were this way by Old Testament divine directive to, to signify a separation from God and his community. As the leper passed by, he writes, his clothes rent, his hair disheveled, and the lower part of his face with his lip covered. It was as one going to death, who reads his own burial service, he writes, while the mournful words, unclean, unclean, which he uttered, proclaimed that his was both living and mortal death. The condition was hopeless, but for an act of God. Graciously, God acted medicinally in the 1930s for the good of many when he bottled, so to speak, his healing power in the leprosy-combating agent Dapson. And with the advent of multiple drug therapy, what's called MTD in the 1980s, God then allowed this leprosy, this flesh-destroying disease, to be overcome, to be overrun by health and by healing. But you'll recall from last week's sermon that the symptoms, be they leprosy or a fever, as we heard last week, or deafness or blindness, or paralysis or cancer, or arthritis, or bursitis, or conjunctivitis, or dermatitis, gingivitis, hepatitis, pancreatitis, whatever. They're all just that. They're just symptoms, recall. Symptoms of the deeper, the graver, the far more eternally deadly condition, the sinful condition. Now, the interesting thing about the prominence of leprosy in today's readings, both the Old Testament reading and in the Gospel reading, is that this leprosy tends to illustrate so vividly. So vividly it tends to illustrate the deeper-seated problem. Consider these parallels between the sickness, the disease of sin, and that of leprosy. Like most diseases are ugly in their own ways, leprosy and sin too are, are especially ugly diseases. Especially Ugly, it's harsh, both. They're harsh for the eyes to look upon, even harsher for the one who suffers from the consequential fallout of the contracting this debilitating 
infection. The sinful condition, just like the leprous one, affects the hands and what one does with them, what one is able to do with them. It affects the feet, the eyes. Like leprosy, sin and its death eat away at one's body slowly, but surely consuming it. And when left untreated, it leaves its sufferer with a loss of feeling and sensation. It leaves him spiritually paralyzed, spiritually blind. Leprosy separates its host from the community of the whole and of the healthy, just as sin does from the health and the wholeness that are known only to those who know a nearness to God. The disease, be it leprosy or sin, is a respecter of no person. Infecting mighty men of valor, just like Naaman, as easily as unnamed and anonymous Galilean men who would implore Christ. You see how vividly the leprous condition mimics and parallels its mother, the sinful condition? Well, perhaps because the one so well mirrors the other, and perhaps because, as St. Paul says, of sin there is no difference, all have sinned, the mighty men of valor and the nameless alike, perhaps because of these reasons, perhaps that's why in our text we're given no name, if you noticed, of this man whom the Holy Spirit would have us know only as a leper. He's nameless. Matthew's account, interestingly, doesn't name him. Luke's account doesn't name him. Here in Mark's account, he's, he's given no name. Only it's written that a leper came to Jesus. But you know, when you think about it, what else is there to say about him? He's identified only by the condition that consumes him. He's a leper. And before God, what else is there to say about you or me but that he's a sinner? One who's unclean through and through. One who from birth, even from conception, says the psalmist, is by nature ever walking under the shroud of death, ever toward it, ever in it. What other title, think about it, what other title before God better identifies the naturally born you and the naturally born me? And does the title sinner. We can bring our talents of silver and gold like Naaman did. We can, and we do, don't we? We can bring those, those talents of silver like Naaman. We can bring our shekels of gold. We can bring our earthly titles of valor and distinction that are derived from our earthly victories and successes. But what are these to God who gave them to you? What are these to him who considers, Scripture says, even our best righteousnesses to be unclean and filthy rags? Scripture says there is no partiality with God. Luther famously said, beggars, all are we. And so God has confined, says Paul, all under sin so that all might be made clean by the will and by the blood of a gracious God. But often, though, that's what we do, isn't it? Often we're, we're so ready to offer our best in exchange for God's best, we, we're ready to barter with Him. We're inclined, so often we are, to, to come before God seeking that pronouncement of clean with our talents in hand, be they those talents of silver or gold, Zeal for the church, 
dedication to God's cause. Whatever it might be, whatever it is that we would think impress, would impress him. It's so tempting for us to come with these in hand, ready to extend the hand, not empty-handed, begging him, but extend the hand to shake on a deal. But as Christ said, go and learn what this means. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. That's to say he desires that you implore his mercy. Not that you trust in and lean on your own sacrifices or that we would on on ours. The good that we would think that we've done or or we would bring to the table. No, think back to the gospel text. Recall that with nothing in his hand but the disease that gripped him. Recall that it said that the leper came to Jesus imploring him. Knowing that he couldn't of himself strike some deal or bring something to the table, it said that, the, that this leper, this, this unnamed leper, identified by his condition, came to Jesus imploring him. Imploring, perikolon in the Greek, meaning beseeching or begging for aid and help. And it said on bended knee, he confessed only what spirit-given faith can confess. What only faith can speak, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Formed by the knowledge that I can't, and yet formed by the expectation that you, Jesus, you can, the anonymous leper blends his plea with that of all who have ever believed, seeking and imploring God's grace, as we say, that he'll be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful, leprous being. And then Mark writes that Jesus, moved with pity, acted. Here's a jewel, that phrase, moved with pity. I think it's one of the most precious phrases in all of Scripture. The Greek splagnitsomai means a gut-wrenching, a gut-turning compassion. As one is moved in the insides, the bowels, it means. Used only 12 times in the New Testament, each and every time, mind you, it's used of the Lord. And of his tender pity and compassion for us. Splagnitsomai, moved to compassion. It's what moved him to come and and be with us here and to come in the flesh. And so Mark writes, Splagnitsomide, moved to compassion in the guts. Splagnitsomide, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched the untouchable. And with a word he cleansed, he said, I will it. Be clean. And it was done. And so it is for us too. Lepers all. So it is for us. We come before him each week, none better than the other. Moved by the knowledge that he can cleanse us. And moved with the firm expectation that he will, we come as we are. Sinful and unclean with the thoughts and the words and the deeds. The things done and left undone to prove it. We come with nothing in hand but the condition that grips us. And we beseech him of his boundless mercy, anticipating that he will once again stretch out his forgiving hand, knowing 
that once he willed to stretch out his nail-pierced hands on the cross for us. And we confess, Lord, if you're willing, Lord, remake me to be clean. And then we wait his reply. But we don't wait long. Because forgiving Splugnitzo, my forgiving, God-wrenching compassion never delays. And so with a word he returns his, I will it, be clean. And his messenger announces to you, you are forgiven. And immediately, immediately your leprous wrongs, as many and as deep as they've been, they leave you. And they're gone. And note this too, and and note it well, and know it well. That his answer to a beggar's plea is always I will. Always. For Christ himself said, the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. But note this also well. His I will, his be clean, is going to come to you through appointed means. Means that aren't entirely impressive to the uninstructed and the untrained eye. Like Naaman, you might come with your leprosy and stand here at his door and be disappointed because he expected to see more. Naaman was. Remember in the Old Testament reading? You might expect, you might expect, just like he might have expected, rather he did expect a messenger, more than a messenger, I should say, to come out. Remember what Naaman said in the Old Testament reading? He said, surely, I thought that surely he would come out, the prophet of God, but no, he sent his messenger out. Perhaps you'd be disappointed in the wow factor of it all, thinking that God would would cleanse your leprosy with a bit more dramatics than with a simple spoken word or or a simple baptismal bath and washing. Naaman was disappointed with the wow factor, remember? He said, well, I thought surely he would come out and call on the name of the Lord his God and and wave his hand over the place. You see, Naaman expected dramatics. He expected more of of a wow factor in the things by which God works. Faith healing is what he expected. Unintelligible Tongue-speaking, snake-handling, shaking, and quaking. You see, Naaman's off-the-mark expectations and how God works, they're still with us today, commonly still with us today. And so, too, is Nathan's challenging question, will the dirty, muddy Jordan River waters are not the waters of the Abana and the Farpar better? You see what he's asking? Are not the more impressive, the more emotion-enhancing, the more dramatic waters better? No. No is the answer. No, they're not, because God has not joined his promise to them. They're not God-appointed. They're not sacramental. Don't be Naamanic. Don't be like Naaman in that respect. Don't expect God in any place that God has not promised you in his word to be. They they may not look like much. The waters in, in the baptismal font, but neither did the Jordan River waters look like much, did they? And yet because the Lord commingled his word with those underwhelming, 
In those unimpressive, dirty waters, they contain for Naaman the leprosy, cleansing water of life, the tide of life. And do you know in his small catechism, in speaking of your baptism, Martin Luther asked this question, well, how can water do such great things? And then he answers it this way. He says, certainly not just the water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things. Along with faith, he says, which trusts this word of God in the water. And that was true for Naaman too, wasn't it? Though not at first, eventually he was brought to believe that these waters could do something for him. And so we see him washing. But then Luther goes on to say this, For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water, rich in grace, Luther says, and a washing of rebirth and, and renewal. Regeneration in the Holy Spirit. You see, Naaman's waters still flow. And I tell you plainly and frankly what, what happens here at this font and at God font, God's fonts everywhere is more impressive than what happened to Naaman's skin or the, that of the unnamed leper. What happens at the baptismal font is eternal. A sinner is brought and is washed with the promise, be cleansed. And in baptism connected to the cross of Christ, it's done. A sinner, defined by his condition, is washed in the promise, be mine. And is forevermore defined then not by his sinful condition. But now by the life that he shares with him who risen from the dead can no longer die. A natural outcast to God is washed in the promise, be robed. And immediately he's donned with the festal wedding garment of Christ's righteousnesses. His righteousness is brilliantly clean enough to stand the intensity of the high priest's inspection on earth's last day. A sinner is washed at that font in the promise, be assured. And he can be ever more assured that no matter how far from the father's house and home he's ever strayed on his prodigal way, that the ring of inheritance and the feast of rejoicing will always, always belong to the returning son. Dear leper, dear sinner, baptism now saves you. So scripture says, it's Christ who works in baptism. It is the leper's laver. Remember the laver? That ceremonial appointment that stood in the tabernacle between the courtyard and the, rather in the courtyard of the tabernacle between the, the altar and the, and the actual door to the tabernacle. It was a copper bronze basin when filled to capacity holding over 240 gallons of water with the water in it weighing more than half a ton. But recall what that laver did. It contained the water with which the, priest would rit the, the priests that would there enter would ritually cleanse themselves. Cleanse themselves, Scripture says, lest they die. It was intended to make holy and clean those who would serve and those who would live in the presence and in the nearness of a holy God. By his own design, Christ put that laver there, that basin, 
And by his own design and by his will, he put this basin right here for us. He put this baptismal basin here so that lepers all can still be washed in his blood and by his word be clean. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.